Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with a choice between facing the truth or looking the other way. On Thursday night, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, NBC, CNN, all will be covering the first primetime public hearings of the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. That means pretty much every cable news channel and three of the main broadcast networks will be providing wall-to-wall coverage. Everyone except Fox News, which will stick with its regularly scheduled programming of Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingraham. They're demoting their coverage of the hearings to the much less watched Fox Business Channel. The network said on Monday that its primetime hosts will cover the event as news warrants. The network's decision might help avoid some uh, awkwardness for Hannity and Ingraham, who were actively communicating with Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, on that violent day. In the 17 months since the insurrection, Fox News, particularly the folks in prime time, have spent hours undermining the severity of the attack on the Capitol, and even more hours painting the investigation of it as a prime time, as a partisan witch hunt against the former president, despite there being two Republicans on the committee, including Vice Chair Liz Cheney. According to Philip Bump of The Washington Post, the reason for not letting Fox viewers see the truth for themselves could simply be that playing any of the January 6th hearing would undermine that narrative. Bump writes that a group of researchers for the Center for Open Science recently published a study showing how Fox News viewers are influenced by their coverage. And when they are forced to watch a different network, they walk away with a broader sense of knowledge and one that makes them less likely to agree with what Fox is saying. So I started thinking about that today in the context of stained glass windows and the church in medieval times. Now, stay with me for a second. Do you know why churches have stained glass windows? Those windows were the primary way for the church to spread their message about God to the poor. It was the only way they could communicate a very specific vision to a large swath of the largely illiterate masses. The pictures literally tell the stories. The church went further in enforcing their preferred narrative. They they banned translated versions of the Bible because they wanted to control and restrict the teachings in order to enhance their own power and importance. But it was the priests, they were the ones who interpreted the biblical texts. Even after the invention of the printing press, it was uncommon for European Christians to read the Bible for themselves. Sometimes doing so or translating it was literally actually could get you in trouble. Just leave the reading and the interpreting to the church hierarchy. Thanks. That is basically what Fox News is doing. They are saying, leave it to Rupert's folks to tell you what happened and what you should think about it. They've got this. You don't need to watch it for yourself. And so, Fox News viewers will not hear from Nick Quested, a British filmmaker who recorded members of the far-right Proud Boys extremist group days ahead of and on the day they stormed the Capitol. What he saw left him shaken and fearful for the future of the United States. Fox News viewers will not hear from Caroline Edwards, a U.S. Capitol Police officer who had her skull cracked after being assaulted by insurrectionists, including those same Proud Boys. Fox News viewers will probably not hear about how the former president pressured the Secret Service to devise a plan for him to join his supporters on a march to the Capitol, or how Trump was cool with the idea of hanging Mike Pence. And we all know that Fox News does have an appetite for investigations, right? According to Media Media Matters, Fox ran more than 1,000 segments on the terrorist attacks in Benghazi, Libya, 
all culminating in the 11-hour testimony of Hillary Clinton before a House Select Committee. We also know that Fox News will play a central role in the counter-narrative message from Republicans. According to Axios, Fox News will host Trump surrogates because Republicans are looking for networks and social media platforms they feel are more favorable to their cause. And you can surely count on Fox News returning to rolling primetime coverage of congressional hearings of pressing matters like Hunter Biden and the 2020 election, which, of course, Republicans have already made clear they will launch if they win the House and or Senate in November. Joining me now is Paul Butler, professor at Georgetown Law School and a former federal prosecutor, and Kurt Bardella, advisor to the DNC and the DCCC. Thank you both for being here. You guys both have very sort of interesting um, kind of connections to the way this works. I mean, Paul, you as a former prosecutor, part of the idea is to tell a story and to get the jury to understand a narrative. So what will it mean for viewers to not see the story, right, not get the evidence. In a court, you have to actually present the evidence. And then you, as the prosecutor, tell a story around that evidence. What Fox will have is just their story, not the evidence. So, Joy, the Republicans are counting on January 6th fatigue. Uh, Fox News wants the American people to ignore the fact that this week, members of the Proud Boys have been charged with sedition meaning prosecutors believe that they plotted to use force and violence to keep Trump in office, even though they knew he'd lost the election. Uh, They're trying to divert attention from the federal judge's opinion that found probable cause that Trump himself committed crimes. The big question is whether Republicans can persuade Merrick Garland that it's time to move on, because he's the person who would make the final decision about prosecuting high-level Trump officials for crimes. You know, it's interesting. They're also, I mean, they're avoiding Kurt, you know, having to explain why two of their hosts were actually talking to Mark Meadows at the time, particularly Sean Hannity, exchanging lots of messages. So they won't have to explain that because they're just not going to do it. Um, But then the other thing is they don't have to explain why the Proud Boys now control the Miami-Dade Republican Party, why they're now, you know, running for office, why they are actually now part of the Republican Party. And they won't have to explain this. Let's show Nick Quested video. So Nick Quested is the, you guys remember his lovely British accent? He was walking around. He was actually walking around with the Proud Boys. There they are in the garage. Um, in the hall of the state's parking garage, which will be very familiar to those of us in D.C., he's meeting with individuals. If you can see where he's what he's doing there, he's standing there with Stuart Rhodes, who's also been charged with seditious conspiracy, and others. So you actually now see, if you want to talk about a conspiracy, they're there together. They're not going to have to explain that or the violent video that followed the following day. You know, Joy, yeah, so January 6th is... Go ahead, Kurt. Kurt first, and then it's and such then, a um, nothing burger. Oh. If January sixth is such a nothing burger, as the Republican propaganda outlets like Fox News would have us believe, then why are they going to such extraordinary lengths to hide the committee proceedings? If it's such an illegitimate showing, as they're going to be telling all of their audience that it is, then why not air it and let it speak for itself? If something is so preposterous and so illegitimate, surely their viewers are informed and intelligent enough to reach that conclusion independently after watching the proceedings. Fox is hiding it from their viewers. The Republican Party is hiding it from their audience because they know that the presentation that is going to be put forward by this bipartisan committee that features two Republicans, one of whom has the last name Cheney, pretty big Republican bona fides there, they know that this is going to be completely devastating, that all of the straw men that they've put up, all the false narratives and false flags they've tried to advance are going to come crumbling 
tumbling down. And it will be not by Democrat words, not by partisan words, but through the words and testimony of Republicans, of Fox News hosts, of their text messages, their emails, the depositions. It will all be on full display and it will be irrefutable. Uh, Go ahead, Paul. So, Joy, while Fox is giving short shrift to the largest federal criminal investigation in U.S. history, we have to note how they love sensational crime coverage of black and brown people. Uh, They went all in when the obscure actor Jesse Smollett was charged with low-level crimes in Illinois, but they're ignoring, again, this most important uh, House panel report probably since Watergate, probably the most important in all time. And I think what they're waiting for is the hope that the House will be rewon by the Republicans in, in um, the midterm elections. And then we can expect Republicans to send out subpoenas to Hunter Biden and, and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Again, that would devolve from the most consequential investigation in the history of the House to pure partisan politics. Right. I mean, you know, Kurt, even if you don't, for for whatever reason, have any emotional connection to the idea of our Capitol being sacked by people who defecated in it and hurt police officers and bludgeoned police officers and cracked one skull and left at least five people died as a result. If that doesn't even move you, you know, just as a news story, Just as a journalist, if this is actually a news channel, a news network, Fox, this is the biggest news story in all of our lifetimes. We've never had a president attempt to overturn an election, violently overturn it. We've never had a broad, seditious conspiracy where there are actual charges of that. Since 1814, we haven't had our capital sack, and that was not—and never by a domestic, you know, terrorism group, terrorist group. So this is new. We've also never had a president sanction the lynching of his own vice president. This is New York Times reporting. Mark Meadows— on January 6th, Mark Meadows walked into his own office after meeting with the president and told colleagues that Trump was complaining that the vice president was being whisked, for safe, whisked away to safety. Mark Meadows, according to an account provided to the House committee investigating January 6th, then told the colleagues that Mr. Trump had said something to the effect of maybe Mr. Pence should be hanged. This is the biggest news story and the most troubling and disturbing story ever to not cover it is just it seems negligent. But there are studies that show that if even Fox viewers as read in and in the bubble as they are, when they watch non Fox coverage, when they're made to sit down and watch other coverage, they do develop a broader view. Well, and this is why, Joy, and I just wrote this in a column that was just published on, at the L.A. Times, that I think it's time that we reach the point where we stop treating Fox like a news outlet at all, because it's clearly not. They're making the conscious decision to commit journalistic malpractice by ignoring the biggest story right now, the biggest story perhaps in our in our entire country's history, actually, when you look at where this is all going. This is a major pivotal inflection point in the fight to salvage democracy, and they are choosing not to cover it. That's not the action of a responsible news outlet. That's not the action of a journalist. That's not the action of a reporter. That is the action of a propaganda vehicle for a political party that is determined to play a substantial role in undermining democracy as we know it. Why these people are allowed to have a White House press briefing access, why they're allowed to have a press credential to cover the U.S. Capitol, I have no idea because I know this. If al-Qaeda created a media outlet, we wouldn't give them a hard pass to cover our government. Why in the world would we allow the people who are egging on, fomenting, and defending insurrectionists to have that type of access? They shouldn't. 
And here's the thing. I mean, they're, they're, it, it's a metastasizing scandal, a metastasizing story, uh, Paul. You now have evidence, new emails, emails, that show that a Trump election employee actually was telling Georgia Republicans to hide their efforts to put forth fake electors, to put up fake electors, and essentially ensure the end result that they wanted, a win for Georgia for Trump. Um, they said it'll be hampered unless we have complete secrecy. So you had a fake elector scheme in multiple states— that they were attempting to literally substitute the votes of tens of millions of people for their own decision that Trump should win. Just as a, I mean, as a legal matter, it's horrific. It's hard to ignore that as journalists, as a journalistic matter as well. Joy, the Trump campaign wanted to ignore the actual voters and install fake electors in seven swing states who would vote for Trump even though he lost. And remember, in Georgia, Biden's win had already been certified and reconfirmed after a recount and after court cases. So secrecy, when this guy tells uh, this, these fake electors, keep it on the down low, don't tell anybody, secrecy prompts the question from prosecutors, what are you trying to hide? Who are you covering up for? And to end here with you, Kurt, I mean, Republicans also benefit from being able to survive bad faith arguments. You know, MSNBC, CNN covered the Benghazi hearings because five you know, people legitimately died, members of the diplomatic corps. It was, you know, Hillary Clinton sat for 11 hours, took seriously hearings that Republicans called a pre-impeachment in case she ever became president. They literally said they were going to pre-impeach her. They, it was literally, Kevin McCarthy admitted it was purely political in order to stop her from being president. Yet they know that if they were to be in a position to have those gavels, the Democrats aren't going to just ignore the subpoenas and say, I have I'm gonna, and invent some executive privilege and, and, and do the things that they do. And I'm wondering if they're overly benefiting from the kind of the bad faith that's allowed, including, I have to say it, even by the way they're covered in the media. Well, this is the thing. And, and, and I remember back in the day when, when Steve Bannon would refer to this as the Achilles heel of, of the Democratic Party and really the Achilles heel of the media ecosystem, that the Republicans could manipulate the media because they know that by being bad faith actors, they'll ultimately be rewarded, that the media yeah. cannot help themselves but view this as a conflict between two sides of the same coin presented in equal weight with equal value, when you and I both know that's not the case at all. The extreme of the right and, and the progressive left are not two sides of the same coin. One is trying to destroy democracy. That's the end of the story and the end of the conversation. And Republicans continually get away with it because the media lets them. I have to say that I think this could be a turning point. It, it, you know, as, if this is truly exposed, as we are told by Jamie Raskin and others, as a conspiracy that went all the way to the president of the United States and throughout the Republican Party, including elected officials, to literally turn our democracy upside down and destroy it. Hopefully that bad faith will no longer be allowed. We shall see. Thank you, Paul Butler, Kurt Bardell. Appreciate you both. Up next on The Readout, powerful words at the White House about the Uvalde victims from a native son, actor Matthew McConaughey. Maite wore green high-top converse with a heart she had hand-drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. 
about that shit. This, as the Senate appears to be moving closer to a deal on guns. But will it really address what victims' families want? I'll ask the daughter of Buffalo shooting victim Pearl Young. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. As the country faces an epidemic of mass shootings, how much do the lives of the shooting victims actually matter to our lawmakers? That is the exact question that Garnell Whitfield asked senators this morning. His 86-year-old mother, Ruth Whitfield, was gunned down in the Buffalo mass shooting at Top Supermarket. What are you doing? You're elected to protect us, to protect our way of life. I ask every one of you to imagine the faces of your mothers as you look at mine and ask yourself, is there nothing that we can do? My mother's life mattered. My mother's life mattered. And your actions here today will tell us how much it matters to you. It's the same question that has been asked time and time again as mass shootings are followed by thoughts and prayers and no meaningful actions to prevent the next one. We're being told that this time will be different. A bipartisan group of senators continue negotiations over what, if any, reforms can muster 60 votes from a Senate that includes at least 50 lawmakers who seem to spend more time cowering in fear of the NRA and its supporters than legislating solutions. After meeting today with President Biden, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy told reporters that he remains optimistic that a deal can be reached by the end of the week and that it might even include some of the items that the president laid out during his primetime address on gun violence last week. Republicans, by and large, have come out against almost everything the president asked for. Yesterday, the lead negotiator for Senate Republicans, John Cornyn of Texas, tweeted that making gun laws more restrictive wasn't going to happen and that he doesn't even want expanded background checks, something nearly 90 percent of Americans, including most gun owners, support. Some states are stepping up to do what Congress is failing to accomplish, however. Yesterday, New York's Democratic governor, Kathy Hochul, signed legislation that not only raises the age to buy semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21, but also bans most civilians from purchasing bullet-resistant body vests and revises the state's red flag laws. Meanwhile, some red states want to ignore the gun problem altogether. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and Brian Kemp of Georgia are implementing new school safety plans that somehow do not mention guns at all. With me now is Pamela Pritchett, who lost her mom, Pearl Young, in the Buffalo shooting, and Ben Crump, attorney for the families of Pearl Young and Ruth 
Whitfield. Thank you both for being here. Um, Pamela Pritchett, um, thank you for being here. And my deepest condolences on the loss of your mom. Um, but I, I, I think I'm with all of you who say that enough thoughts and prayers, we need action. What do you make of the list of no's that seem to be on the table? Um, and this is three for my producers. That It seems to me that on the table, we have red flag laws, limited background check reforms, school security funding, and mental health measures. But off the table appear to be assault weapons bans, universal background checks, limiting high-capacity magazines, and raising the age to purchase a semi-automatic rifle. Those seem to be the things that would help the most. What do you make of what's off the table in these negotiations? Well, let me say this um, beginning, Joy. I'm coming on here to say that for me, I want to speak to the American people, not America, but the American people, because the people who were killed in the Tops massacre were the best of American people. I think that Senate needs to begin to see us in humanity and not just see along their own bipartisan lines, because that the Buffalo 10, these were educators. These were, you know, Joy, it's like this. You would want to tell your daughter or your son, grow up to be like this person. My issue is that we have a Congress that does not see humanity. They want, they see lobbies, they see what they consider facts, but they do not see the humanity in people. And it, to me, if they don't see the humanity in people, then we're going to have difficulty moving forward. And I think that's where that's where I stand. And um, go ahead. No, no, please continue. I didn't want to interrupt you. And so that's that's where I, you know, I stand. And one of my favorite uh, quotes is from Maya Angelou, where she says that of the human family, we are more alike, my friends, than we appear to be unalike. I believe that. I believe that your average everyday American thinks very similarly to the, to the way I think. I believe that they want common sense gun laws. I believe they want things where you don't have to experience what I had to experience I have said this story and I will continue to say it, Joy, because it actually gives me some level of therapeutic healing. But when you have to be called by the funeral director because a person so full of hate and using a weapon so destructive that the funeral director calls me, I'm the I'm the only daughter and says, you need to bring a hat for your mom's head because of what this person did, I need Congress to feel that level of pain and heartache to experience touching your mother's hair. And it's riddled because the blood, no matter how much the funeral director tried to do the best that he could, he couldn't do anything. He could only do what he could do. I have often said, I wish that I had the courage of an Emmett Till's mom, because I think that's what we need. We need people to really see and feel and understand that this is beyond 
laws and, and lobbyists. This is about people's lives. This is about the humanity of our nation. This is about the fact that we are better than this. Mm -hmm. And I believe most Americans are better than this and that we need to tell our representatives that you represent us and we are better and you need to do the right thing by us. And I'm going to say this one thing. I said two things today. Every tear I cry is going to be fuel for my action. When mm. I cry at night, I'm not just crying and ending it there. I'm crying and I'm telling you, if I have to start in Western New York where I live and go throughout other parts of the communities until they make, until the Senate makes decisions that they should make, then mm -hmm. I'm encouraging every person that has become a part of the family that I'm a part of. I never imagined right. out of 335 million people that I would be a part of a family that of those who are grieving from a massacre. But I want to encourage everyone who's been there, you know, let, let's pick up the mantle again. Let's not yeah. just have memorials, but let's pick up the mantle and, and hold them accountable mm -hmm. for their actions. <laughs> And Ben, you know, as somebody, and amen to that, and Ben, as somebody who, you know, unfortunately, you, you've spent a lot of time with families who are in this type of grieving, um, but it, it kind of hits different. It's not, it's not a random encounter. It's literally somebody who deliberately decided to massacre people based on the color of their skin in this case, or to walk into a school in the case of Uvalde. What would you say to lawmakers who say, yeah, but, you know, we love, we love, a, our, our base loves our AR-15s and we, we need to have them and they need to have free access to them even if they're 18 or 19. Joe, I would say what Pamela has described that it is time, far past time, to put people over politics. Um, when you think about it, Joy Reid, this hearing, and I commend some of the Dick Durbin, was about dealing with white supremacy. And this was a young man, not a boy, who wrote a 130-page manifesto on why he was doing it. And the experts talked about, we got to get to the root of the problem. We are rewarding, many people in our society are rewarding this race replacement theory. And until we have serious conversation about not rewarding that, it's going to continue to happen. And Senator yeah. Durbin said the previous administration uh, stopped the mandate for the Justice Department to investigate and report on white supremacy. And we have to have that passed. The Senate yeah. must vote, at least vote. Uh, Pamela Pritchett, uh, you preached a sermon tonight. I thank you for being here and being um, with us. And again, um, you know, I'm sure your mom was an amazing person. She obviously raised an amazing daughter. Um, ben Crump, my uh, friend, um, thank you for always being here for us uh, to help make sense of the senseless. Thank you. Um, still ahead. A Star Wars, the Star Wars universe faces a new phantom menace. No, no, not a new attack from the Federation. It's fandom freakouts over multiracial casting. But first, the war over Ukrainian grain that's worsening a global food crisis. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation, 
That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. It's Monday night. It's Monday, everyone. We're happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. More than 100 days into Putin's unprovoked assault on Ukraine, Russia is absolutely bombarding Severodonetsk, a key city in Russia's effort to take over the entire eastern region of the Donbass. And Putin is not solely focusing on the east, with Russia launching airstrikes on Kyiv over the weekend, claiming they were targeting tanks sent from abroad. But a plant that was struck was where freight cars that carry grain were being prepared. This comes as the world is in a food crisis because Russian warships are blocking ports, preventing Ukraine, one of the world's largest bread baskets, from exporting its grain. Yesterday, Secretary of State Tony Blinken confirmed reports that Russia is stealing grain to sell for its own profit. The Russian ambassador to the U.N. walked out of a Security Council meeting yesterday after the EU president accused Russia of selling food supplies as a stealth missile against developing countries. Today, Russia said two ports in the Azov Sea were ready to resume those grain shipments, but only if Ukraine demines its coast. Joining me now is retired Army Major John Spencer, chair of Urban Warfare Studies with the Madison Policy Forum. So the use of food um, and grain as a war weapon, um, just to look at the increase in food prices that's already resulting from this. Sugar is up 21 plus percent. Meat, dairy, cereals, oils, etc. The food price index is up 58.5 percent. This is especially hurting developing countries. Talk a little bit about that, because Russia, per the Associated Press, um, with Ukraine, the two of them, produce almost a third of the world's wheat and barley and half of the sunflower oil. So this is a, a true, true crisis. Yes, Joy. It's, a, it's not becoming a crisis. It is a global crisis as we talk. I mean, there's over 20 million tons of grain sitting in the Ukrainian silos and ports ready to go out now. This will be felt globally. I mean, it has potential of killing thousands, hundreds of thousands in places like Somalia and Ethiopia that rely on this grain. But as you just noted, this will impact the entire world. This is why Putin, this isn't about Ukraine. Putin's a, a global terrorist. He's using the world's food as a weapon. And stealing... Uh, the grain that, you know, where the money rightfully belongs to the Ukrainian people. I mean, as this thing drags on, I mean, not only the theft, um, but the violence. You know, we have reporting today that more than a thousand Ukrainians, um, they're prisoners from Mariupol, one of the most besieged cities um, in the world right now, in Europe at, at the least, have been sent to Russia for investigation. Um, Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky, President Zelensky, is warning that this winter is going to be extremely difficult. Um, you have the possibility of everything, inability to sell gas, inability to feed themselves. What's going to happen as this thing just drags on and on? I mean, I, it's a it literally is genocide. And we've known that from photos of like Bucha and things like that. But just like you said, the, the thousands of people, the children, Joy, that have been removed out of Ukrainian and put into Ukrainian or to Russian homes. Uh, this is 
this is global. I mean, there's not been a greater global threat to the world since Hitler. And much of what Putin and his military is doing in Ukraine is very similar to the Nazis, although he called the Ukrainians Nazis. This is this is only going to get worse. And this is why we have to continue our support at a very large scale. I mean, I, mean, I don't know why Russia is on the UN Security Council. They're the biggest threat to global security in, in since World War II. Or why, you know, the newly reelected president of France, uh, Macron, is saying don't humiliate Putin. Well, why not? Absolutely. This isn't a normal dispute. This is total war uh, and using war crimes as a method of war against the Ukrainian people. This isn't coming to the political table and negotiating terms. Russia needs to stop. It can stop at any moment. It can open those ports up and let a UN force get that grain to the world economy. It has no military purposes. Putin is evil and, and evil unchecked leads to global impact. And that's what we're seeing. What can we do about it? I mean, there's a lot we can do about it. We can continue to support the Ukrainians fight and they're not asking for anybody to fight with them. But these systems that we hear about, you know, the, the, the long range rockets, the steady support opening those ports, I think the UN can pressure and it can be a coalition of nations to say, look, this is not about your illegal invasion. This is about the world's food supplies that you're holding ransom that can stop with a coalition of UN members saying we're going to not militarily, we're going to open that port up for that food that's the world's. And, and and like the reports have shown, the stealing of their grain, the credible reports, Joy, just so you know, are photos of Russian trucks taking grain out of Ukraine into Russia. I mean, that's like blood grain. It's really soaked in Ukrainian children's blood. Um, and that's theirs. I mean, it's it's horrible. It is. And, and, and hopefully the world will figure out some way of making Putin back down. Um, Major John Spencer, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, up next, Republicans go all in on questionable efforts to sway minority voters with pop-up community centers spreading misinformation and free giveaways aimed at drumming up votes. More next. Stay with us. Over the weekend, at an Atlanta gas station, a political action committee handed out $25 gas vouchers, along with flyers promoting Republican Herschel Walker, the former football star who will take on Senator Raphael Warnock in the November election. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, outside the gas station, volunteers held signs declaring Warnock isn't working. The message was clear. Gas prices are through the roof and that it's somehow Warnock's fault. Now, here, take this money. A spokeswoman for Walker said he didn't know about the event before it happened, despite Angela Stanton King, a Walker campaign volunteer at the voucher giveaway, crediting Walker for the idea. Urshan Walker decided, you know what, we're going to do this free gas giveaway for the community. I want them to know that I care. I'm coming with gas vouchers for everyone. With me now, Jason Johnson, professor of journalism and politics at Morgan State University and host of the Slate Podcast, The World with Jason Johnson. You, you know that was, you know that was, uh, you saw that, that little, little clip, Jason. Last I checked, I'm old enough to remember it being illegal to hand out water in the state of Georgia um, it, when it, you know, when it comes to elections, uh, offering food or water, waiting in line, you now risk misdemeanor charges. And also there is a story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about a state representative named B. Nguyen recalling how the office of Georgia's top election official sent an investigator to a metro Atlanta precinct in 2020 with firearm on hip and demanded that all food and water be removed. Yeah. And yet, 
Herschel Walker getting handed out gas cards? What's happening? You know, yeah, Capri Suns, when you want to vote, that's a violation. But trying to buy you off with gas cards, that is a capital offense. Joy, this is this is the part that always sort of galls me about this. I contacted a colleague uh, who is an activist and organizer down there, and she said, quite candidly, this is what shows you the people who are running Herschel Walker's campaign have no real connection to the black community. We will happily take your $25 gas card and still vote against you. That's not new. And I, I don't know why anyone thinks other than abject racism that black people can be so easily bought. Barack Obama had a whole stimulus package. That didn't mean white people voted for him. You know, <laughs> Joe Biden put shots in arms and put $2,000 in the bank for everybody. Doesn't mean white people like him. Who thinks we are that cheap? That's what galls me about these kinds of plans by Herschel Walker. You know, it, what, what's interesting is, it, it, as you said, and it also shows that they're not trying to win black voters over with I don't know, ideas. They're not saying, here's a better plan right. for your life. They're just saying, take this money. You want to vote for Herschel? <laughs> you know, it is, it right. is sort of an interesting thing. I mean, but it isn't just black people. I'm looking at all these stories that my wonderful producers put together for here. You got the stories in the American prospect of RNCs opening community centers. They're trying to go after the Lumbee uh, yes. Indian population in North Carolina. They're going after Asian Americans, trying to court non-white voters all over the country. They're pursuing indigenous voters. They're pursuing, they're doing all of these things to try to get into the community, but they're not actually speaking about the community as if they have humanity. They're, they still talk trash about these communities, but they go in with what's in the community centers. You have to have, and, and, and Joy, you know this, you've done organizing campaigning, you have to have community validators. I don't care if you put in a gigantic you know, Chick-fil-A with, with a balloon room and free cars and everything else like that and raffles, if you don't have community validators, nobody believes it. And, and what's important about this, I think this is always key. Everybody always says, oh my gosh, they're going to put these community centers in downtown Cleveland, everything else like that. It's going to peel away African-American voters. If Democrats are doing such a bad job of appealing to African-American, Asian-American and Latino voters, then it's their fault if somebody can be bought with a Big Mac and a sandwich. I think the bigger issue here is what are Democrats doing to respond to that. And right. second, not scapegoating particular communities. I mean, that that's, you know, Latino men are much more likely to move towards voting for the Republican Party than African-American men. But I swear the moment Ice Cube or Snoop Dogg says something, it's like, oh, my gosh, black men are going to vote Republican. <laughs> Pay attention to policy and people's basic lives. That, that's the part uh, that's necessary. Before, before we move to the next step, because I know we got some other stuff to talk about. What You got any predictions of what's going on in L.A.? Because that was a situation where they're like, look, Snoop Dogg likes this guy. So therefore, there's all these think pieces of about how all the black people are going to vote now for Caruso. I don't mean to insult any particular writers at the L.A. Times, but if you want to talk to black people, you got to go to something other than Lamert Plaza. OK, like there's other places you can go to black yoga studios in this city. Look, if it's an issue of of black endorsement, you've got Magic Johnson, Donald Glover, Tracy Ellis Ross, who are endorsing Karen Bass. You've got Caruso, who is basically a Republican until five minutes ago, who spent forty three million dollars to Karen Bass's three million dollars. And he's still going to lose by six percent. This is right. what tells people that getting organized on the ground is way more important than the money that spend. Yeah, and I love Snoop. So listen, I, I think I, what I listen to, I, I mean, I think it's important that he's voting and I'm excited that he's involved in politics. I'm gonna leave it there. Uh, Jason's gonna stick around because we got more that's coming up because we're gonna talk about this overly, this overtly, weirdly creepy racist reaction to a new Star Wars character and what it says about the current state of a genre known for pushing the boundaries on social issues. We're back in a sec. From space exploration, time travel, and extra 
extraterrestrial life, there's something inherently forward-thinking about sci-fi. It is indeed one of the most political genres, from Star Trek, depicting one of the first interracial kisses on television, to literally any Octavia Butler book, to Star Wars, a space allegory for imperialism. But a subset of Star Wars fans never got the memo, as racism ripples through the galaxy over Moses Ingram, who plays a Sith Inquisitor on the new Disney Plus series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ingram revealed on Instagram that she has received hundreds of racist messages that included degrading racist insults, threats, and slurs. Jason Johnson is back with me, and I know a secret that you're going to be at Comic-Con. I'm super duper jealous. Um, King of the black yes, nerds, yes, Jason yes. Johnson. Yes. So what do we, so what do we make as, of this? As, because, as part of that go credibility. Ahead. Go ahead. Well, as part of my credibility, I have to point out that Reva is actually not a Sith because of the rule of two. That's my nerd rule. Um, I, she, she's just an inquisitor. Here's the thing. <laughs> always, I, it's, it's, it's what I do. It's what I do. But here's the thing, Joy. It's the, the racism is so ridiculous. I was so excited for this segment to point this out. Behind me with all my Funko Pops, I've got all the black <laughs> women from, from Spider-Man to, to, uh, Star Wars to Ghostbusters to Batman. All these African American women. Our friend Yvette Nicole Brown was the host yes. for the Star Wars celebration last weekend in Anaheim. So anybody who has a fundamental problem with black women being in science fiction ain't really reading science fiction. And they're just bigots who would be unhappy with anything. It's like going to a WNBA game and saying, why are all these women playing basketball? <laughs> Have you not been paying attention? That's what's been there. It's crazy because, you know, you can go all the way back. I mean, Star Trek was so forward leaning on race and trying to make, you know, ecumenicism in terms of race and all the different species, all being all the different races being on that Star Trek enterprise right. in both iterations. We're going to give Next Generation their share. But, you know, I'm an original OG um, Captain Kirk era fan. You know, the Twilight Zone, which was super forward leaning in terms of social issues like this genre. Sci fi is it is the genre that is the most woke, to use a term that the right has turned into a bad word. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing, Joy. They want to call it woke because they want to try and change what's already been happening. Remember, right. we had a horror doing more than taking calls 50 years ago. We now have her with a natural being written on Strange New Worlds, which is a great new Star Trek show. African-American women, African women, black Caribbean women have been a key part of science fiction from the very beginning. What has happened, Joy, is that people who aren't fans of these genres simply glom onto them. We've seen this happen with Rotten Tomatoes, where you have a bunch of bigots come in and knock down any movie that's got an African-American star. They yeah. want to lock black people and brown people and Asian people out of these areas because for them, it's the last place that they can hold on to sort of all of their whiteness. And it's not true. There have been black people from the beginning of science fiction, and you're not going to be able to keep us out. And by the way, and women, too, because remember, Doctor Who was a woman. They, you would think that, you know, they, they should burn the genre to the ground. It's like any change in trying to sort of update right. these stories, you know, even if it's not science fiction, you know, God forbid 007, you know, be black. I mean, it, it is this sort of holding on, as you said, they're fictionalized worlds. They can be anything. And Santa Claus is black. Just sorry. Just sorry. Yeah. And Right. Santa Claus is black. And if you convince me that 100 years ago that a white man named Lord Greystoke could go into the jungle and teach black people how to handle nature better than we already have for a thousand years, I think we can deal with a black woman in outer space who's got Sith powers. I think we're good with that. And I mean, the other question is they the threats are always that they're going to boycott them. But as you said, these are people that are not fans of the genre anyway. So it's a boycott leading to what? 
Right. And and also in a boycott for what purpose? Look, if you want to watch right wing science fiction, you're perfectly happy to do that. Star Trip, Starship, uh, Starship Troopers is right wing. You could, you've got things being made by Ben Shapiro. If you want to watch whatever Gina Carano <laughs> is doing now, you can do that. But for the rest of the planet that simply enjoys content, Obi-Wan Kenobi, for all the people who said that they were going to boycott because they didn't like this African-American woman who was an inquisitor, it's the highest viewed Disney plus Star Wars <laughs> show that's ever come out. So clearly the right. majority of the country and the world is happy with seeing science fiction reflect the world that we live in and the world that we want, not the world that some people want to hold on to that never really existed. Well, you know why they don't want to watch the Ben Shapiro one? Because it's not good. Like, they want the real one. Like, what they crave is the real (laughs) culture to be on their side. They don't want to build their own. It's the reason that they don't want to have Twitter without liberals, because they just want to scream at the people that they hate. Yes. Exactly. And they don't want to be in their own universe, right? If they could create their own universe, they wouldn't because they don't want to be there. Anyway, Jason Johnson, I'm jealous. Take me to Comic-Con with you. Thank you very much for being here tonight. That is tonight's readout. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC.